Our text today is Joshua chapter 3, verses 7 through 17. If you want to be turning there, uh, I'll be reading that in, in just a moment. Joshua 3, 7 through 17. This text describes how God led the people through and across the Jordan River to enter into the promised land. Uh, When Israel crossed the Red Sea, their status went from slave to free. Uh, And now as they cross the Jordan River, their status goes from a wandering band of nomads that went searching for food and for uh, sustenance wherever they could find it. And now they begin the process of becoming a landed people, a people that had a permanent dwelling place that led themselves to feel a sense of stability, permanence, and also well-being. For people who are constantly moving, uh, the idea of a land that flowed with milk and honey, uh, a permanent place to call home was an extremely attractive thing, and now God is giving the people that opportunity. It's also the fulfillment of a promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, over and over and over, repeated throughout the Old Testament, that he would lead them to this promised land. Uh, Joshua chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, we're going to kind of read it. I'll make some comments and then have some uh, uh, teaching points that I want to emphasize towards the end. Uh, we, We begin kind of in the middle of this chapter, but God is going to exalt Moses and uh, excuse me, Joshua, Uh, uh, Moses is dead and gone. And now God is going to emphasize that Joshua is taking that place of leadership. And so we see in uh, Joshua three, verse seven, the Lord told Joshua today, I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of the Israelites, of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. And so we see God's intent to make Joshua the leader in the same way as Moses was the leader of God's people when they came out from slavery and when they crossed through the Red Sea. God is going to be with him and he wants it known among all the people that Joshua has his blessing And Joshua is the one that God has chosen. We have the mention of the Ark of the Covenant, which was basically a rectangular box that had some figures of uh, spiritual beings, angelic type beings on the cover, uh, on the top. And inside the most important treasure was the the, the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. This ark represented for many of the Jewish people the presence of God with them. And so they were to respect it and revere it. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about how they were to um, uh, treat it in in just a minute. Verses 9 through 13, we have the assurance of God's power with his people. Uh, God is going to explain how uh, uh, they are going to achieve this victory in the land that God has promised them. We read verse 9. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. 
Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, each from one from each tribe. The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the ark of all of the earth, the Lord of all of the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water uh, uh, will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. What we see is that the emphasis here is not so much on the miracle, but rather on the God behind the, the miracle. Uh, God is the living God. Uh, he's also twice referred to as Lord of all of the earth. And God has been preparing this moment for his people and now will lead his people through. The living God contrasts with a dead or inactive or a non-existent God. The God of wood or the God of metal or the God of stone uh, cannot provide what a living God could provide. Um, he is truly involved and he is present in their lives and will walk with them as he has through the wilderness. And now he will continue to walk with them as they move into the promised land. He is the Lord of all the earth. He is the Lord of the sea, of the ground, of the earth itself and of all the different lands. And we have a specific indication of how this is going to happen. The river is going to stop. And then the waters will pile up, as it were, and then uh, uh, the people will be able to walk across on dry land. But the river will not actually stop until after the priests put their feet in the water. And so there has to be that step of faith. It's not a leap of faith, but it's a step of faith that will then stop the water from flowing and then give an opportunity for the people to walk across. Uh, um, and so verses 14 through 17, we have a description of that uh, incident and that situation. Uh, verse 14 says, so the people left their camp uh, to cross the Jordan and the priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. The priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water, the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zetharan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed. As the people passed by, they waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And so here we find a couple of additional uh, details. Uh, many individuals, and perhaps you know of someone, or perhaps you yourself, have traveled to the Holy Lands and have seen the Jordan River. Well, most of the time, the Jordan River is not what we would consider a river. It's a small stream, a creek, or in the country they would say a creek. It's something that you could jump over. It's something that you could walk through without any kind of problem. So trying to make this into a big miracle seems a bit of a stretch. But as the text mentions, when the harvest of the, uh, uh, the early barley and the early grains would come in, that was when, much like many places in the country, you have your wet season, your rainy season, the waters would uh, build up. And, and so uh, at its peak, uh, the Jordan River could be a mile wide and, and extremely strong currents. And so this was the time that they were crossing. 
God didn't take them across when it was just a trickle, but rather when it was a roaring river and uh, required his help to get them across. Now, one of the great themes of the Bible is God's creation and the preparation of a good and pleasant place for his creatures, uh, particularly for humans to live. They needed dry land. They needed a place where they could grow crops and raise animals and, and have their families. So in Genesis, we see that God separates the water that was covering uh, uh, the entire world, and he separates it, and dry ground begins to appear, uh, and that provided the place where the people could live. Dry ground uh, is the key word. We, we see once again, uh, as the people are crossing the Red Sea, that God separated the waters and the people crossed over once again on dry land. It's the same word. Three times this uh, word refers to specific incidences, uh, the first being creation, um, the second being crossing the Red Sea, and now the third is this incident here in Joshua chapter 3 when they cross the Jordan River. Throughout Scripture, waters were a place of chaos. Waters were a place of danger. The waters had a potential threat to wipe out communities and to wipe out lives. And so we see the two crossings of these bodies of water, the Red Sea and then the Jordan River, as kind of bookends or brackets uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that mark the journey of the people of Israel from Egypt to the, the, the Promised Land. The other thing that you'll get if you read the uh, chapter from its beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, is that this was a holy moment. Um, there was a certain amount of reverence and awe that God expected from the Israelite people at this particular time. Um, the crossing of the Red Sea was also a holy moment, but uh, with the Egyptian army right on their heels, the people didn't really have time to stop and reflect but God makes it clear uh, as they're crossing the Jordan that this is something that they really needed to think about and to dwell about, to dwell upon. And so uh, God tells them that they are not to come within a thousand yards. That's 10 football fields of the ark itself. They are to maintain a proper distance. And then Joshua communicates God's intent and when he says that they are to sanctify or purify themselves, they were to refrain from killing any animals. They were refrain from having any uh, uh, intimate relationships with their uh, fam uh, with their uh, 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 in their marriage couples. And, and they were to purify themselves and go through the rite of purification so that they would be prepared to cross over. This was a holy moment that God was uh, uh, bringing his people through. And, and so that leads us to these three teaching points or these three points that I want to emphasize. The first is, uh, especially in chapter 4, but throughout this context of Joshua 3 and 4, uh, we, we see the emphasis on remembering God's work. Someday, down the road, tell this story to your children. And in fact, as they're crossing over, Joshua mentions in, in the text that we read that there would be 12 men. It doesn't say what they're supposed to do. In chapter 4, each one were to grab a stone from the dry riverbed. And when they got to the other side, create a monument. And that they were to remember that monument. And every time the, the children would see that and ask their parents, hey, what's up with all these stones piled up? Then the parents could say, 
when we were traveling from slavery and God brought us to this point, uh, this reminds us of his goodness and his care. And so there's a sense where uh, um, we are benefited by those kinds of remembrances. Willie led us through one of those remembrances, uh, the, the Lord's Supper. Uh, each of us can remember back to our own baptisms. And, and we think about that moment when we began this relationship with God in a very, very special way. And, and so memory is a useful thing especially in a context of Christianity and as a people of God, because we remember God's acts. And when we're in despair and we're under challenge, uh, challenges and we're under duress and we don't know what's happening, we remember back to God's faithfulness and we recall his goodness and his mercy and how he has walked with us all of these years. And that gives us hope and gives us assurance that he will continue to walk with us in the future. A second point that comes through uh, throughout this entire text of Joshua is that we are to be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Uh, in the early verses uh, before verse seven, the first six verses, four times uh, Joshua is told to be strong and courageous. Do not fear. I am with you. That message is told to so many people throughout the Bible because that is a posture that God wants to develop in our attitudes and in our character. Be strong, be courageous, do not fear, because God is with us. Even though it looks difficult, even though it's beyond what we can comprehend, do not be afraid, I am with you. Just listen to this list of individuals to whom God communicated this message of do not be afraid, I will be with you. Uh, Abraham, Hagar, Jacob, Moses, uh, the Israelite slaves fleeing from Egypt, Gideon, King Hezekiah, the psalmist as he was surrounded by enemies, uh, the community of Jewish exiles uh, living in Babylon, Jeremiah, Daniel, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the shepherds surrounded by angels, the disciples caught in a storm, uh, um, frightened disciples in the night of Jesus' betrayal, the disciples frightened by reports of a resurrected Jesus and Jesus showing up among them, uh, the Apostle Paul and then the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout biblical history, God's people received this message. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous because I am with you. This narrative in Joshua 3 reminds us that God is a God who is present, who is constantly working to achieve his purposes. The rivers and the seas do not create permanent barriers nor obstacles for God's purposes. God's purpose of fulfilling this promise that he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to continue. The land that he had promised will now become their inheritance. This promise that has motivated them for years and years is now becoming a reality. And that leads me to my third and, and final point. I don't want us to get confused about what our inheritance is. The U.S. is not the promised land. For many people, the U.S. is a land of opportunity. For many people, it can be a place where you can achieve the American dream, the rags to riches story. But it is not the promised land. 
It is not the inheritance that God has promised his people. For some fleeing from uh, England, the Atlantic Ocean was their Red Sea. They were fleeing persecution and they were looking for freedom in this new land that many considered their promised land. But a careful reading of scripture helps us understand that our Jordan River is death. And it is death that God carries us over and carries us through so that we can then enjoy the promise of a land or a time in God's presence for eternity. So as Christians, our first and foremost allegiance is to the Lamb, not to a donkey, not to an elephant. As Christians, we are first and foremost citizens of a monarchy, and Jesus is our king, and God is on the throne. For Christians, we follow a king whose kingdom is not of this earth, and the promised land is an inheritance that we will receive upon passing from this life into the next. And so, my friends, the most important thing for us is not who will occupy the White House come January 2021. The most important thing for us is how faithful and true we are to our Lord and King. The most important thing is how we love God and how we love our neighbor, our Republican neighbor, our Democratic neighbor, our independent neighbor, our neighbor who looks and talks and acts differently than us, and even who believes philosophically, ideologically, in every way different than us. Because if politics and this election cause us to lose our faith and lose our religion, our common enemy, the evil one, Satan himself, has won the battle. Every person that we read about in the New Testament, every person, including Jesus, lived under Roman oppression. God does not need a democracy and God does not need a two-party system to grow his kingdom. Due in large part to our independence and freedom, we have created a narrative that for many has turned politics into God. I choose to use my independence and my freedom to pledge allegiance to the Lamb. May God be with each of your hearts this week and the upcoming months. Remember, regardless of the outcome of this election, God is still on the throne. Jesus is still our King. So be strong and courageous and continue to love God and love people. God bless you.